So um, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5 again. Uh, we'll have our text today is Matthew 5, uh, 33 through 37, where Jesus is speaking about making oaths and telling the truth, the things that we say. When I was preparing for this message, I came across a quote that really stuck out to me. I don't exactly know who's to remember who said it or where I, I read it, and that's really not the important part. The important part is what was said. Um, it goes like this. Evil men and women are not bound by oaths, and the godly don't need them. When I read that, I thought, wow, that is such a really good, boiled-down, one-sentence explanation of what Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 33 through 37. Evil men and women are not bound by oaths, and the godly don't need them. So let's, uh, let's read the text in Matthew, 30, in Matthew 5. Jesus is speaking, and he says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no, anything more comes from evil. So just by way of a brief recap, in order to get our contextual bearings, remember that Jesus is preaching his Sermon on the Mount. He is presenting the way of the Christian to the world. And if, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, if you're going to be a follower of his, if you're going to really love God, like the first commandment says, with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength, if you're going to do those things, then, then what Jesus is laying out in this message, in this Sermon on the Mount, these things are going to define you. They're going to be definitive of who you are. They're going to, to describe you. And I think it's interesting then that Jesus, and it's also completely appropriate that he would follow up his statements about adultery and uh, marriage and divorce and lust and all that with a discussion about telling the truth, a discussion about oaths and truth-keeping. Isn't that what marriage boils down to, really? It's an oath. It's a vow that we take. Right? But you read the text that we just read, and what did Jesus say about taking oaths? But don't do it. <laughs> Stop, wait. No. So is he telling us that we, we shouldn't get married? Is he saying don't take oaths to, of marriage in verse 34? Is he saying that uh, we shouldn't make any promises or any commitments at all? Certainly not. Certainly not. And we know this by what he says in verse 37 when he says simply say yes or, or no. You shouldn't need to add more to it. And the desire to add more to it comes from an evil place. So he's not saying you, you shouldn't make any promises. You shouldn't make any commitments at all. He's saying just let your yes be yes and your no be no. When you try to add more to it, that comes from an 
evil place. Remember what we discussed about marriage in the previous weeks. It's a picture of Christ and the church. From the beginning, it was a picture of Christ and the church. Christ, the better and perfect husband, and uh, alongside him, his church, the bride that, that he has made spotless and presented back to himself. Our marriage, when we take vows, when we come together and enter into a covenant with one another to have and to hold for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, and all those things until death parts us, those are a picture, that is a, a picture of the bond that Jesus has with his church, which is why it's so precious. When two people get married, they come together and they stand before a minister and they have all their friends and family gathered around them, and they, they face each other, and you know each one of them, each person, uh, in, in they're facing each other, and, and they're looking at each other in their face, and they're like, out of all the people in the whole world, out of all the people I've met in my whole life, you are the one person that, out of all the countless people I've met, you're the one person that I, I want to be with and spend the rest of my life with. You're the one person I want to entangle my heart with and entangle my affairs with and I want to be knitted to you of all the people that's what we do when we stand in marriage in a marriage ceremony before God and before the minister and before all of our friends and family and we look at each other and we say ah oh, this is the one you are the one and so what does the minister do he looks at, at, the, at the husband and he says young man do you take this woman and he looks at the woman and he says Young woman, do you take this man? And what do they say? I do. They say, I do. And the minister doesn't then follow up with, do you cross your heart and hope to die? <laughs> Are you sure about that? You swear to God? You swear? No, he doesn't do that. And why is that? I think to answer that question, it is worth exploring why we make these kinds of oaths in the first place. Why do we say things like, I swear by fill in the blank. I swear by my father's grave. Why do we say, I promise. No, I really promise. I'm really being honest. Why do we say, cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a thousand needles in my eye. Why do we do that? What's the point in saying those things? Isn't it to add weight and legitimacy to our statement? Right? This, what I'm saying right now, is really the truth. And how do you know it? What is my assurance to you that what I'm saying to you is really the truth? I swore by something sacred. Or I invited some kind of horrible you know, consequence on me if I'm telling a lie. That's how you know. That's your assurance that what I'm saying is the truth. We want people to know that we're being sincerely honest. And that, that what we're saying is the truth. And they ought to trust us because we're so committed to the truth that we'll swear by these sacred things. And if we break it, the, the, the truth, then we've desecrated these sacred things. Or we invite these terrible things to happen to us if we're being false. And so you ought to trust me. And we appeal to these things that are weighty and sacred. We'll shackle ourselves with these invitations of, of pain and, and consequence. And we'll, we'll bind ourselves and buttress our truth and our words with, with these swearings by sacred things to appeal to them, to let them know that what we're saying is really honestly true in order to add weight to the truth of our words. And what is the presumption then? 
The presumption is that we need that added weight. We need that added support to uphold our words and to ensure that what we are saying is truthful, that we are being truthful, to ensure that we are committed to the truth in this circumstance. Otherwise, without saying it, without laying it out like that, without inviting the great consequences, without, without swearing by something sacred, you know, not wanting to desecrate or defile something sacred, then we appeal to those things that are greater than ourselves. Otherwise, there's no real assurance that our words are true. Isn't that what we're saying? So essentially what we're saying is that without these shackles and supports, if we're just to speak from our heart, then I wouldn't be telling the truth. My commitment to telling the truth is weak and I need the buttress of oaths to support my words, right? When in fact, as people of God, we should be so, such people of such integrity that our words already have the buttress of truth. John Piper puts it this way. He says, we should have such a commitment to the truth and to the Lord of truth. And we should have such a love of the truth and a love of the Lord of the truth that we have no need to buttress our words. We have no need for the fear of desecrating something sacred. I mean, think about it. What is an oath to someone who does not love the truth? What is an oath to someone who has no fear of real consequence, who doesn't care? What is an oath? It's just words, right? It's just anyone can say those things. Anyone can swear by anything. It's just words out of your mouth to someone who does not love the truth, who does not understand that there are consequences for not telling the truth. For some people, saying, I swear, or for when, when we make these, these promises and we add buttresses to our words, that's the difference between something that is true and sincerely honest and deception. And for others, it means nothing. It's just words, because they have no love for the truth. In verse 33 of Matthew 5, Jesus, he gives us what should be by now a familiar pattern in his, his preaching. And he's going to do this a couple more times where he says, uh, you know, he gives us the law. Um, or as we've heard it over the past few weeks, the letter of the law. He says, you have heard it said. And in this case, when Jesus says, you have heard it said that you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn, Jesus isn't exactly quoting any particular scripture. He's more uh, summarizing a few Old Testament passages together. And most likely he's doing that because there appear to have been, from the little bit of evidence that we have, culturally speaking, there appears to have been a uh, a whole lot of rules and loopholes and complex guidelines around speaking and telling the truth and making promises or vows. If Jesus tried to address every one of their misunderstandings, or I guess I should really put it, every one of their manipulations of the law, um, then he would be there all day, especially manipulations of the law as regards to the truth. They had some very crazy rules and loopholes about truth-telling. Just for example, um, they would uh, say that if you swore uh, by Jerusalem, that was not binding on you. But if you swore toward Jerusalem, that is binding on you. So I could say, I swear by Jerusalem, and if I say that, then I could go back on what I said. 
If I swore toward Jerusalem, now we got an issue. We got an issue. But what is the point? Isn't it really the same thing? I mean, in, in the heart of the issue is really the same thing. Whether you say, I swear by Jerusalem or I swear toward Jerusalem, isn't the point to add weight to your words, to convince someone that what you are saying is the truth, that they should trust you and that truth is coming out of your lips? Isn't the point either way? Isn't that the point? It's the same thing. A vow is being made. The reason for making either one of those vows, by or toward Jerusalem, is to convey a commitment to the truth. I am committed to the truth, and you know this, because I'm swearing toward Jerusalem, or by Jerusalem, or by God, or fill in the blank. If you convey a commitment to the truth in such a way that it keeps the door open for you to be dishonest, keeps the door open for you to be deceitful in what you are saying, then your intentions were wicked in the first place. It has come from an evil place. In Leviticus 19.12, we see the first time this law is given. It says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So what is the consequence? What is the end result of swearing by God's name falsely? Saying, I swear to God, and then not meaning what you say or not doing what you say. It profanes His name. To profane His name means to treat something as sacred uh, with abuse, to treat it with irreverence, to treat it with contempt. So to say something like, I swear to God, and whatever it is that you swear, and then... Uh, you know, whenever what you said is, is just not the truth, so it's a bold-faced lie, it's an outright lie, or you say, I swear to God, and you have no intention of making what you're saying true, I'm going to do this, and then you don't really intend to do that. Or, listen to this, if you say, I swear to God, I'm going to get this done today, I'm going to do whatever, and then by circumstances completely out of your control, you don't get that done. You have... You've sworn to God to get this done, and you've given yourself a... Do you understand? And you have profaned the name of the Lord. You've invoked Him, and you have profaned Him. You're treating Him with abuse and contempt. And then in Numbers 30 and 2, we see there's an expounding of the law. It kind of expands it because there was confusion Again, and it says, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So there's a, an expansion in the language that we first saw in Leviticus, where we first have the law. Remember in Leviticus it said, if you, uh, you shall not, It says, If you, uh, you shall not swear by my name falsely. Here in Numbers, if you make a vow to the Lord, or you swear to bind yourself to any kind of pledge. So we've expanded it. Whatever you say. It's not just if I swear by God it's, uh, that I'm bound to the truth, but when I swear by any other kind of pledge, I'm bound by the truth. And we see the same kind of thing mirrored in Matthew 5 where Jesus says, Don't swear by heaven, for it's God's throne. And don't swear by earth, for it's God's footstool. Everything is the Lord's. So when you swear by anything, you're, you're swearing by God. And then finally in Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 through 23, we go a little bit further with it. And he says, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you. And you will be guilty of sin 
But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. Well, now that sounds like if I just don't make vows, then I don't have to worry about it, right? If I just don't say I promise or I, I know I really mean it, you know, no vow, no sin, right? I don't have to worry about the truth. As long as I don't say those things, I'm not binding myself that I'm good, right? Wrong. <laughs> you got to keep reading. That's why it's dangerous to take little verses out of context and not read the whole whole scripture. Verse 23, if you just keep reading, it says, You shall be careful to do what is past your lips. Now, what passes your lips? Every word that you say, right? For you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. So when it passes your lips, you've already vowed it to the Lord. You, you've already bound yourself to the truth. You've bound yourself to the words that you say. So Jesus, like he said in Matthew, in the last verse of our text this morning, he said, so you just need to simply say yes or no. It needs to be as simple as that. You're already bound. Truth is important. And what you say is important. In other words, what you say matters. Whether you try to artificially support it or buttress it with all this other stuff, doesn't matter because what you say has already bound you. Why does it matter that we be truthful? Why does it matter that our yes be yes, our no simply be no? Why does it matter that our words should be true and that we shouldn't have to support them or buttress them with other things? Is it a just because I said so kind of thing? I mean, that, that ought to be enough, right? If God said it, it is he is holy and righteous, and that ought to be enough for us. His judgments are good and true. So he said it, and that should be enough. If we love him, and that's what it boils down to. Look at what Jesus had to say about people's relationship to the truth in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 42. He's talking to the Jews, and there's this whole discussion about whether or not... Uh, they are of the Father. And they say, well, we, we come from Abraham. Abraham's our father. And so surely we are of God. And Jesus says to them, if you were, if God were your father, verse 42, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. Now they're just arguing with him that they are of Abraham and therefore they are of God the Father. And Jesus now says, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. This is how we know who their father is, because their will is to do their father's desires. That's verse 44. So he's saying that if you were of God, if you were the children of God, you would act like God your father. But you are not. You are the children of Satan, so you act like Satan. Then he tells them what it is about Satan, about the devil, that makes, them, that makes him their father. Or rather, to put it reversely, what he's really saying here is that these are the things about you that make you the sons of Satan. He says he was a murderer from the beginning. What did they plot to do with Jesus? Murder him. 
and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. His character is lies. Now this is in direct contrast to God the Father, whose character is not lies but truth. He speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies, like father, like son. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. And the assumption there is because they do not love the truth. So Jesus is saying right here, you are sons of Satan. And what makes you sons of Satan? And he, he says, starts off, Satan was a murderer. And then he just leaves that. It's like, oh, by the way. And then what does he focus on? Truth. Focuses on truth. There's no truth in him. He completely leaves the murder problem uh, kind of in the background. And he focuses like a laser beam on this lack of truthfulness. And the thing is, when we're not truthful, when we fail in an oath... Or worse, when we are deliberately uh, misleading people, misleading someone, we display the character of who? Satan, not God. We say, God, you are not my father. Satan is. I want to act like that guy and not like you. We're rebellious sons. We profane God and we're violent and contemptuous towards his name. So then if you love God, you love truth. Amen? Going back to the very beginning, remember what happened in the Garden of Eden? What was it? You shall not eat of this tree, for the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. And then Satan comes on the scene, he says, two things. Hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree? And then he said, you shall not surely die. So he called into question God's character and God's word. He's lying to you, Eve. He didn't mean any tree. I mean, he's, he didn't mean you couldn't eat of this tree. You, he said you could eat of every tree. This, this is every tree. And he didn't mean you would die. Not surely. No, what he meant was you'll be like him. He just, he's just a bold-faced lie. Not only is he lying about God, but he's casting doubt on what God has said and he's disparaging his character. He is profaning the name of God, calling God a liar. And that's what's at stake when we swear falsely. That's why it's so precious to God that we tell the truth. This was the beginning of death for his precious creation. It was a lie. Let's go back to the, the warning against adding to our words, adding to our yes and to our no. Why is it that Jesus says that this comes from evil? Anything more is from evil, he says. Why does he say that? I find it helpful in understanding that to go back to the marriage vows and the context of marriage vows that we spoke of earlier. I mentioned that when a minister says, do you, and the couple answer with a simple I do, that he doesn't have follow-up questions. He doesn't poke for a more sincere yes or a more sincere no. Hopefully there's not a no at that point. We've gotten beyond that. Um, but he doesn't poke for a more sincere commitment. It's just a simple I do. 
He isn't there asking them to swear by the name of the Lord across their hearts or anything like that or any other kind of ridiculousness. And it would be ridiculous. And anyone who is in the audience watching the wedding ceremony would find it ridiculous if the minister pressed for that. Wouldn't they? If he pressed for anything beyond the simple, I do. No one expects to hear that, and they would be very surprised to hear that. No one expects to hear further assurances from the couple getting married either. So, I mean, the guy standing there, and he says, do you take this woman to be your wife? And he says, I do, swear to God, cross my heart. We're just going to find that odd. Why do we find it odd? Because we know why we're there. We know the context in which we're there. Everyone knows that we're there because two people love each other and they want to spend the rest of their lives in covenant with one another, forsaking all others. We know that a simple I do is all the weight of truthfulness that we need. Truthfulness that is bound up and driven by a love for each other and a commitment to each other. So adding anything to it, adding something to it, just adding something more than just I do, it takes away from it. It diminishes it. It's like I didn't really mean it, now I mean it. Or you don't know I'm being sincere unless I add the rest of these words. We take it in that context because of what we know is going on. We know that this is one man and one woman who love and care about each other, and so they're going to be honest and truthful with one another. In this context, in this situation, truth matters. We don't need to add any more weight to it. Yes is yes and no is no. Adding to it, adding buttresses of support to our vows just diminish it. Cast doubt on it, hurts it. And that's how it goes with our relationship to the truth and to honesty. It's a reflection of our relationship with God. That's why it says you don't need to add anything to this. You are my sons. You are my bride. That's all you need. When you add more to it, you, you call that, all that into question. As believers, as Christians, people, we have taken His name. We call ourselves by His name, Christians. We stand with Him as His bride and with every word that we say that comes out of our mouth, it is what, is, what did Deuteronomy say? It's a promise. Every word that comes out is a voluntary vow to the Lord. With every word we say, I do. Amen. Out of our love for Him, our yes is yes, and our no is no. And we don't need to add more to it. Amen. We certainly need to be honest with it. So, let our words... Simply be yes and no, and let us be lovers of the truth. Amen? I'm going to cut it off at that. So let's pray. Father God, we love you, and we thank you for your holy word. Thank you that you have given us light and life in it. God, I pray that you prick our hearts to be people of integrity. Not just because you said so, that ought to be good enough, Lord, but because of the love that we have for you and the relationship that we have with you and the covenant and commitment that we have with you, that we would be reflections of your love and your integrity in this world. How can they trust you if your disciples aren't honest? 
Help us to be so. In all that we do, let us give glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.